Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. Think about the longest friendships you've held in life. My closest friendships stem from my college years. I do have a sprinkling, though, of friendships that are longer standing with people who have known me for a good portion of my life. There are two relationships that go all the way back to Gray Rabbit Preschool, where I was just a mop of curls bouncing around the playground. One of those dear friends is Jewish, and the other comes from a devout Christian family. It was wonderful and in a lot of ways a gift to have a place where I first learned all the Americanized basics of the Christian calendar. And in turn, this other kid, well, she was invited as a welcome guest at all of our family's Jewish holiday celebrations. Every year, I was invited to go and decorate their Christmas tree and participate in a rather elaborate Easter egg hunt, which I told my parents was much better than finding the Afi Komen. I'm sure they love that. We parted ways, this little girl and I, when we moved on to separate elementary schools. But we still got together on holidays, and our parents would occasionally arrange for sleepovers. Once, and I remember this vividly, My parents were lugging my overnight bag out of the trunk as I jumped out of the car, a new board game tucked beneath my arm. The father of the family stepped towards me and said gently, I'm going to need you to leave that in the car. I thought he was joking, but the look in his eyes and his very serious 1990s mustache, they told me he was all business, very serious. For the life of me, I couldn't understand why they would have an issue with my amazing, awesome, super cool, and exciting new Ouija board. Now, I don't know if I knew by then that the Ouija board was not, in fact, a vehicle for consulting with the spirits beyond. And I also don't know whom we might have tried to contact or what we might have asked them. But either way, the question burned a hole in my pocket until my parents arrived the next night to take me home. What was so objectionable about a Ouija board? My parents explained that seances and dark arts involving the world beyond is expressly prohibited according to biblical law. Something that some people take quite seriously, including my sleepover buddy, or at least her parents. The specific prohibition against consulting spirits comes from a biblical text that is shared by both Jewish and Christian canons. The locus of this law, according to our Jewish subdivision of the Torah, is right here in Parshat Kedoshim, chapter 19 of Leviticus, verse 31. Don't 
turn to ghosts and don't inquire of familiar spirits to be defiled of them. I, Adonai, I am your God. Now, the construct of the verse in Hebrew harbors an implied consequence for Ouija-esque communications. Turning to and inquiring of unearthly energies is a prohibition lest one be rendered the status tameh which is defiled or unready for sacred service or impure. Since this verse is not located in a vacuum, but rather contextually tied to all these other do's and don'ts in the surrounding Torah portion, we can infer a deeper impetus, a theme that undergirds this set of laws and gives reason to this biblical injunction. The exploration of the occult, with the ban on consuming blood and the specific instructions with regards to how one can and cannot shape their facial hair, etc. All of these are meant to bind us as a people kadosh, a people sanctified. In Judaism, we find both inherent sanctity and applied sanctity. Inherent sanctity is the baseline status of a people or a place. Israel, from our nascent formations as a people, is called an Am Kadosh, a sanctified polity. And think of the ark just there behind me, full of Torah scrolls, which we call the Aron HaKodesh, the sacred ark, or the ark of the sacred. The sanctity of the Jewish people and our places of worship are innate. They're organic. And there is also that which we render sacred by means of ritual, areas in which we bestow the sanctity. Notably, to invoke Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, Jews are a people who sanctify time. The Sabbath, Shabbat, exists in the weekly rhythm with or without our intervention. But it is we who sanctify it who make it holy. As a lover of ritual and wine also, I appreciate that we do this through liturgical, poetic, even what I would call incantation practices, reciting words that have the power to induce transition. Blessed are you, God, ruler of the universe, Mikhadesh HaShabbat, the one who sanctifies the Sabbath. We acknowledge God's having gifted us with the Sabbath, and then we pour a goblet of a particular libation, in this case, something from the fruit of the vine, in an affirmation and application of holy sparks of our sacred inheritance. The vehicle for sanctification, the act by which we render something or sometime or someone or someone's kadosh, is in setting it apart, by setting it aside. That elevates it. This is the real root of kedusha, of sanctity, that which is explicitly set aside for elevated purpose. Think of it like this. I have a special hat. It's not as cool as Sally's, but I have a, I have a special hat. Now, in order for that hat to be special, I have to have other not-so-special mundane hats, right? And by contrast... I've set aside this one hat as uniquely precious, or kadosh. Now I'm going to give you a different image. 
Some of us are lucky enough to have found partnership in the form of a single individual who at some point becomes our person. And they're our lucky hat, if you will. And we stand beneath the chuppah. We cement that partnership through a ritual that we call kiddushin, which is the name that we give to the sanctification of marriage. One partner turns to the other and offers a ring that serves as a designation for the special status, mekudeshet, set apart as my beloved, sacred. Here in our Torah portion, which Gavin read beautifully, God instructs Moshe to tell the people that it is they who should be kedoshim, ki ani Adonai, for I am God. Just as I am holy, says God, so too should you be kadosh, holy. These very laws that bind us to God and to each other are designated to set us apart from other peoples. Rashi wrote back in the 11th century in his commentary that this meant that we were to be a people who turned away from immoral acts, deriving the theme of restraint from the lengthy lists of specific don'ts in the Parsha. Don't pursue this relationship. Don't practice witchcraft. We read that one too. A century later, Nachmanides expanded this category far beyond abstention from the prescripted acts detailed in the Parsha. Instead, he argues, sanctity, like Gavin said earlier, it's a matter of overall self-control. As the Talmud describes the sect of Purushim having practiced, those who separate themselves out through all kinds of honorable abstention, what they don't do. This is such a tempting read of sanctity. Don't be like the others, other people, other peoples, and that, that will set you apart, make you sacred. My ego rather likes the idea that I can elevate myself by declaring what others are doing to be lesser than. When Gavin and I sat together to study this Parsha, he wondered out loud about a couple of the particular don'ts in the Parsha. Gavin also has a Ouija board, all the cool kids do, right? And he confessed he has an extensive collection of Buddha figurines and shiny crystals. Is that an issue? He asked me. I thought about this for a moment, and I asked a question about it. Do you feel like these objects distract you or detract from your Jewish practice? Nope, he said. They just look cool. As we talked through these ideas, we landed on the thought that perhaps these were just examples, part of a category for which there is a new list of forbidden acts or concerns in each generation. But this broader Nachmanidean idea of just don't do any of the problematic things that other people do, well, it's far too expansive to be a helpful instruction for living day to day. How do we know in every generation what we have to avoid? Our rabbinic literature is replete with examples of these instructions. 
I have a favorite, of course. Um, the favorite of mine is the instruction per the Mechilta, which Rashi brings on his commentary in that Mishnaic era text, to not refer to places or times by means of non-Jewish landmarks or dates. So, for example, I shouldn't tell you to take a left just past the statue of the fire god or make plans to meet you the day after some idol's special day. Who who sets these boundaries in our day and in our time and in our generation? And even if we could figure out precisely what holy people ought not to do, I'm really troubled by the notion that the way that we set ourselves apart is such that we become better than we could be by means of abstinence. Because we don't eat this. Because we don't pray that way. Because we don't love that way. We are holy. Jews are not defined simply not just by what we refuse to do. We are Jews because of what we do in practice. Kiddoshim Tihu is a positive commandment. A be holy, a do. How exactly does one go about being holy besides the avoidance of unholy acts? Here in Kiddoshim, we find plenty of specific points instructing us in ethical behavior. From these points, we can draw a small constellation outlining a shining theme. Holiness is expressed through different forms of love and devotion. Ishimo ve'aviv tira'u, revere your parents. Ve'ahavta l're'echa kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself. Umikdashi tira'u. Revere my, meaning God's, sanctity in my sacred place. It's only after these overtures of love and devotion and respect are outlined that we get the closed paren, the capstone, on this section of what we call the holiness code. V'hitem li kedoshim ki kadosh ani Adonai va'avdil etchem min ha'amim lihiot li. You shall be holy to me, for I, Adonai, am holy, and I have set you apart from other peoples to be mine. The hitem li kedoshim, the and, and I would add thereby, in practicing all these laws, you will be set apart from me. These laws, all these do's and don'ts, they're braided together. These laws of abstinence and avoidance, they're all in service of refining ourselves and making room for loving relationships and for loving fully. It's not the smashing of idols that makes us holy. Rather, Kedoshim contains a recipe to cleanse our lives of the false idols that distract and detract from our well of love and dedication to all that is worthy. It is all but impossible to fully devote myself to loving my family, my neighbor, my divine source of life, when I am pulled into vacuous practices that demand my attention. I can't say that idols, literal figurines or witchcraft and wizardry, have often, if ever, distracted me from the critical relationships that I strive to maintain. But you know what does take from me and drains my attention? 
the endless click holes that keep me magnetically attached to my phone and other devices. Now, Gavin and I were discussing this very idea that a generous read of idolatry in our day might be called some kind of an addiction to devices when his phone buzzed. And he said, but it's my mom. (laughs) And we both laughed because we know that technology can be a powerful connection and a conduit for the very love that we're commanded to engage in. But we also know that so much more often we are tempted by the endless diversions posed by the screens that carry us further away spiritually and otherwise from those whom we love. When we encounter a person, a family, a community that exudes holiness, we don't often notice, at least immediately, what they choose not to allow in their life. The Ouija board that's absent from their game cabinet. The food that's not in their refrigerator or on their table. People who shine forth with apparent holiness, the kind that stems from an authentic dedication to being holy, They pour out love, and it spills into the important relationships in their life. All those years ago, my friend and her family at that sleepover, they had me leave the Ouija board in the car, but I was the one who was welcome always in their home. In spite of our many differences, I saw them practicing a focus on faith and kindness towards each other and towards me, their guest. I was witness to the way they spoke mindfully and interacted with each other using respect and care. There was always time to speak the right way. There was always space at their table, always a willingness to stretch so that I was the recipient of their commitment to ve'ahavta l're'echa kamocha, loving their neighbor as themselves. And while I didn't witness every choice they made on larger and granular levels to distance themselves from distractions, I saw in their approach to the world that they always made room for love. They always made room for holiness. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.